You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. On today's episode of Talking Taiwan, I have Gary Rello and Bonnie Chan, co-founders of the PPE Relief Initiative. Our head Gary on as a guest previously in episode 79, only a couple of months into the COVID-19 pandemic. He talked about his own personal battle with COVID and the PPE Relief Initiative's crowdfunding campaign. Since then, they have surpassed their goal of raising 30000 They've also been selected by GoFundMe to be a featured campaign on their COVID page and have a lot of exciting updates. So I'm really happy to have them back. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Felicia, for having us back. My pleasure. So um, you, the two of you are founders of uh, PPE Relief Initiative, but I understand there are other founders, and Gary had spoken about Dr. Joanne Kwan also. Could you tell me who are the founders and then how did the two of you get involved with the PPE Relief Initiative? Sure, yeah. So uh, first and foremost, thanks again for having us back on. Uh, That was a really great experience to be able to uh, talk about the mission publicly for the very first time in such an intimate setting. Bonnie is our chief brand officer and very lucky to have her you know, by my side as one of my co-founders. Dr. Joanne Kwan was also a co-founder and she was actually the original CEO. And as I mentioned in the earlier episode, having Dr. Kwan on board as a team as the CEO, it also just added a certain level of credibility and she actually helped us create this amazing kit. You know, she was the one that was strategic and trying to find the, um, the type of PPE that we needed. When Joanne and I first talked about, you know, trying to make this happen, I was saying to myself, oh, wow, if we're going to have uh, a really big need to have a creative uh, person with a marketing background or brand development background. And I was like, oh, wait, I know someone <laughs> who can do that. And I immediately thought of Ani. And I actually tried to... Um, kind of be a little sneaky and trying to get her to volunteer. I invited her to watch a movie with me on Netflix uh, via Netflix watch party. Uh, this was back in, what, April, Bon, right? And uh, yeah, while we were watching, I was kind of like like slowly trying to incept her on the idea. But then I just realized like, wow, she actually uh, was really, really committed to wanting to help. She kept pestering me, hey, can I do more than just provide you a logo? Can I do provide you more with uh, providing a website? Mm-hmm. So. Bonnie was actually the first person on our team, and uh, she uh, start, first started off as, you know, as our chief marketing consultant, and then we gave her, you know, uh, that title of our chief brand officer, and she was there from the beginning, and we consider her officially as a co-founder of PRI. So that's kind of like just my, you know, very um, you know, simple introduction, but I would love to give Bonnie an opportunity to talk more about her origin story and why she uh, wanted to volunteer. Yeah, at this point, it feels like ages ago since time has been passing by so fast. Um, I believe this is in April when we first started talking, right? And this was after Gary had recovered from his bout of COVID actually back in March. And I remember as his friend, I felt incredibly concerned and very worried. And I was, of course, excited to speak to him for the first time in ages um, with that Netflix party, right? Um, little did I know this was going to be an invitation to join him for essentially what would be a months-long journey into PPE Relief Initiative. Um, I was really excited to you know, sign up for the mission because at the time, if you remember, New York and New Jersey were hit really hard and essentially was the epicenter of the pandemic. And I remember feeling helpless like so many people around me and speaking to my friends about um, the news and everything we were seeing about healthcare workers struggling with access to PPE. Um, Something that was, quite frankly, unthinkable, Um, just the fact that, you know, they're going to work, uh, trying to treat COVID patients uh, without the PPE or protection they needed. Um, So when when Gary basically extended this invite to join, um, first it just started with a logo, you know, just discussion about the name. I remember my first Zoom call with Gary and Dr. Kwan, when we were all just discussing uh, the stories of the healthcare workers and uh, what it would mean to step up to volunteer for this sort of initiative. And just feeling incredibly excited about essentially the mission that we're about to go on. Excellent. So Bonnie, I'm assuming you have a background in branding and marketing. Is that uh, is that what you bring to the table? Is that why Gary invited you? Yes. 
Um, you know, in addition to us being good friends, I think he also invited me because of my creative background. Um, I was working as a marketing director at a creative agency at the time. And that's essentially been my field for, um, you know, five plus years, give or take. And I remember when I first joined, one of the first things I wanted to do was essentially uh, find a good tagline and story that would basically distill the essence of PRI into into a, a manner that anyone can understand. Um, so the motto that we came up with actually on that Zoom call was, uh, every superhero needs armor. And to us, it was really important to uh, broadcast this message because healthcare workers may be superheroes to us, but the fact is they're also human, right? And what they need more than anything else is protection to do their job. So I was really happy to be able to lend my talents in some way or manner um, to try to balance what I was doing at work at the agency, but then also come back um, and eventually switch full time to my work at PRI with Gary and Dutton, Dr. Kwan. Yeah, I have to say that um, your branding is really strong. I love the tagline and it's really noticeable. Like you have like brand colors and the whole logo and the blue and white and how consistent it is throughout your um, website and your social media. Um, yeah, thank our, you so much. Since we last had you on the podcast, Gary, um, PPE Relief Initiative has reached its 30,000 crowdfunding goal and it was selected by GoFundMe to be a featured campaign. Um, how does one get selected by GoFundMe to be a featured campaign? And what does that mean for your campaign? What are the benefits of that? Yeah, that's a really great question. And to be completely honest with you, I think it was just a little bit of stroke of luck. You know, I, I'm i still trying to figure out exactly what was um, the details behind our campaign uh, getting onto the radar of the communications and marketing team for GoFundMe. Uh, perhaps it could have been the relationship that we had with our specialist at GoFundMe that was guiding us uh, going from ideation to launch with uh, tips how to have a successful fundraiser. I do think a lot of it uh, does go to uh, the brand development for PRI. Uh, and that's a really big uh, kudos to Bonnie and her team for really establishing uh, that brand presence that really added a certain level of credibility. I also think that the work itself that we have been doing since May really was gave was really what gave us that credibility in the eyes of GoFundMe that here is a campaign that uh, whose mission is still relevant. When they actually approached us, this was maybe around September if I'm not mistaken. And there were obviously concerns about a second wave of COVID uh, that's happening in the wintertime. And being that it's already the first week of December, we're already seeing how cases have been, you know, have been crazy uh, across the country. When GoFundMe approached us, funny enough, we actually were close to the sunset stage of our campaign. And Bonnie and I were looking forward to celebrating and obviously, you know, having a nice break and, uh, you know, trying to figure out the next chapter of our lives because, you know, I had plans uh, of my own to start a restaurant in 2020. Uh, Bonnie uh, was going to be exploring the next professional chapter uh, for, for herself. So when GoFundMe approached us, to be completely honest with you, the first reaction <laughs> that Bonnie and I had was, uh, wow, we're really tired. <laughs> we're a little burnt out. Yeah, and, I think the reaction was something like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we were at first hesitant to, you know, to take part in the holiday giving campaign uh, as a featured COVID-19 fundraiser. But of course, you know, I feel that Bonnie and I have similar values. Uh, a lot of members of our team have similar values. If we're presented with the opportunity to help people, you take that opportunity to help. And we recognize that the platform that we built together, you know, with Bonnie, Dr. Kwan, myself, and the rest of our volunteer team, we have a very unique opportunity to uh, to help out more folks. So what we what the opportunity to be featured by COVID-19 provides us, number one, provides a certain level of credibility. We recognize that if we're going to support more healthcare workers, so to update your audience, our phase one from May to September, our goal was to raise $30,000 to support 1,000 healthcare workers. Excuse me, to support, our phase one goal was to, to raise 30,000 to support 400 healthcare workers. Our phase two goal 
is to support a thousand additional healthcare workers this holiday season. If we're going to be able to do that, we're going to have to be smarter and work faster and be more strategic. So having this type of credibility with being a featured COVID-19 fundraiser by GoFundMe opened up a lot of doors for us, which I'm really excited for Bonnie and I to share those opportunities later in this in this conversation. Um, so that was number one. Number two, um, they're going to provide us with marketing support. They're going to share our campaign with uh, a national audience. And I'm going to let Bonnie talk a little more details about what the um, holiday campaign prov provides in regards to those opportunities. But yeah, it's really just that that credibility, the marketing opportunities, and, and if, if anything else, it was just really nice validation from a recognized you know, um, fundraising platform to say to us, hey guys, great job, we want to support you. And that really is what emboldened us to want to do more. But I want to let Bonnie kind of go into more details about, about that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Gary. I think one of the best things about having about seeing that first email from GoFundMe was just the validation of efforts uh, starting from May, essentially, all the way till, till fall when we um, got the email. Um, and just a sort of, you know, recognition of all the work that, you know, we've put in and all the volunteers who, you know, in their spare time outside of their own nine to five jobs was able to put in their incredible generosity in, in dedicating that those efforts. I would say first and foremost, the validation aspect and just a recognition of everyone's efforts, um, you know, all the way from spring to uh, the end of summer was, which when we first received that, that invite to be featured fundraiser, um, it was incredibly gratifying just to know that uh, my, Gary, Dr. Kwan, and the whole team's efforts in you know, spending a lot of time on building up the story, increasing awareness, and just making sure that the word got out there about the mission uh, was being recognized by GoFundMe. So I would say that that was incredibly rewarding. Um, in terms of the benefits provided, I would say that um, us being on the front page of the COVID campaign page for the holiday giving campaign was, um, you know, wonderful to see. Uh, they have four featured fundraisers there right now, and um, we are we are there. Um, in fact, Gary's smiling face is there. I remember doing that exact recording. Uh, that was fun, fun day. Um, yeah, and then in addition to that, just having their marketing assistance, uh, just uh, putting out our mission and their email campaigns and social are all uh, things that they would love to help us out with. And then lastly, they do have uh, reach in terms of their press. And so that's something that we are open to as well. So if they have any opportunities that come their way in which they can link us to any outlets, um, they will do so. So that's something we're really thrilled about. Yeah, that's really amazing, especially to be featured on the COVID page. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also wondering, because I know myself, having done a few crowdfunding campaigns, how exhausting it could be. And um, Gary mentioned that um, you guys were pretty much uh, ready to wrap it up when GoFundMe approached you. So have you guys been able to add some more um, team members or people to help you? Because it is a lot of work. I understand that. I am so glad you asked that, Felicia, because that is something, that's a question we've been uh, working through ever since phase two began. And it's been a really, really exciting ride, actually. Um, we've gotten applications, volunteer applications from all over the United States, uh, from California, Arkansas, uh, Virginia, Maryland. It's been really uh, rewarding to see so many people from so many different places in America reach out to us about supporting our mission um, and for them to care about, you know, essentially their uh, community members on the East Coast. Um, so at this point, our team expanded from, I would say, you know, like eight or so, eight or 10 uh, members to essentially like 20 to 25 right now. And we're still getting new volunteer applications. Um, you know, quite a few people have joined uh, even in the last few weeks. Uh, everyone offering tons and tons of uh, motivation. You know, they all just want to help out during the pandemic and uh, do what so many of us in 2020 wants to do, which is to roll up our sleeves and, and you know, try to make a difference right now. So, you know, like running a GoFundMe campaign or anything like this definitely requires a whole village, I would say. And that's definitely what we've tried to recruit in the past month or so. 
Well, I was just going to say, just to kind of like add on to um, Bonnie's uh, answer, when we were starting starting to strategize about how we're going to be successful with our phase two, one of the things that we did was actually kind of do an evaluation of our learning lessons from our phase one. And we recognized if we're going to be able to have more ambitious goals of supporting additional healthcare workers, we're going to need to have more you know, qualified, more talented, I should say, uh, volunteers to come on board. And when I think as a tip to your audience, I think one of the most um, successful decisions that we made to help us get volunteers, and I, I want Bonnie to talk more about this, was the fact that we use a lot of volunteer um, platforms, you know, to match organizations with volunteers that have a certain passion for a cause, you know? So Bonnie, maybe you want to just like list off some of the ones that we've used so far just for the audience to hear. Yeah, sure. Um, so Idealists is a great one. We found a lot of volunteers through that one. Uh, Volunteer Match has also been another one as well. Um, I would say that those two are the main platforms that people have found us through. Yeah, and we actually created a, a volunteer website on on our, our on our own particular page. You know, clearly listing out the positions we're looking to to recruit. Clearly listing out what the uh, tasks and responsibilities were for each position. Uh, which again, is just a, a testament to the to the brand development for PRI. But uh, what's been really really awesome for Bonnie and myself. One of the questions that we have in our application form is why do you want to volunteer for PRI? And so much of what we're trying to do is not discuss what we want to accomplish or how we're going to accomplish, but really circle around and start with why we're doing what we're doing. Really to share the mission of what we're trying to do and be able to see if there are other folks aligned with our mission. So I'll give you a great example. Uh, one of our volunteers, she actually is a healthcare worker over in Washington state. And she came across our, our listing and applied and had a really amazing answer as to why she wanted to support. So during our interview, when we asked her, you know, why are you uh, motivated to support um, you know, PRI, even though, you know, we're not in your area, we're in the East Coast, you're in the West Coast. Simple, the simple answer, she said, was that at the end of the day, these are still my healthcare worker brothers and sisters that I want to support. You know, I have family in the East Coast, but most importantly, I know that the East Coast, especially New York City in New Jersey, was hit hard during that March, April, and May period. And this is just my simple way just to show that community that we care. And we're starting to like recognize that although we have a very diverse volunteer team with a very diverse skill set, there's one thing they all have in common as to why they want to help. And a lot of it is because they just want to show love to the healthcare worker community, which addresses kind of like a bigger issue. Right now, PRI is focused on providing that immediate um, PPE protection, of course, as a response to the rise in COVID. But so much more than that, we're also providing emotional impact, positive emotional impact to the healthcare workers. So many times when we do a delivery, we always make sure to ask them, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How is your friends? How's your family? Are they safe? Just to show them that we generally do care because there's been so many stories, so many articles that go into details as to the, just how burnt out some of these healthcare workers are, how tired they are, how fatigued they are, you know, not just going to work, but just like sometimes seeing systems in society failing them, you know, and they shouldn't be failing them. We should be supporting them, you know, and I don't want to get too political, but I'm sure your audience can assume as to what I'm referring to, right? As to the politicization of, of mass, as an example, and compound all the other things that they've experienced. A lot of them have gone through grief, um, whether it's patients that they've treated or maybe it's colleagues or even family members, you know, and loved ones. They've gone through so much. So when we went through our learning lessons with phase one, we documented all these stories and we recognized that while the supply kits will provide immediate care, obviously they're not gonna last forever, technically speaking, but what will last forever is just the memory and the and and the impact that we can provide to the healthcare workers, letting them know, hey, look, there's an entire community of folks 
that really do care about you. I'm not even just talking about Banya and myself. I'm talking about the volunteers that have stepped up and given so much of their time and efforts to help our mission. I'm talking about the donors that have, you know, not just, you know, donated once, but we've had so many other uh, donors that have donated multiple times to our organization. I want them to know that there are people from across the country that really care about you. And I'll tell you right now, Felicia, the impact that we've seen really does make a difference because they say to us, hey, this is giving me the energy to go to work. This is going to give me the confidence that I'll be okay to do my job. Um, and so many of our donors are actually the healthcare workers that have received the kit, you know, and that's just like so inspiring that they're willing to pay it forward to their fellow uh, healthcare worker. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm sure that you guys are really bored by all the volunteers that you have. Like it gives you the energy to continue into like phase two and beyond as well. That's really great. Thank you for sharing that. Could you tell me when you guys, um, in order to reach your first fundraising goal of 30,000, what were some of the biggest challenges? Uh, I can start (laughs) with this list of challenges. Uh, I would say that the first big challenge is trying to do everything yourself. And, you know, if your audience is full of ambitious people who are doing great things, um, I think everyone can relate to that, which is, you know, if you're passionate and you're ambitious and you really want something to get done, it's really easy to fall into the trap of doing everything on your own. And so I think that was the case with our first uh, round small team, you know, just a few people, like really passionate, um, but taking on a lot, uh, everything from Gary Manning uh, operations and logistics and um, doing deliveries. And for me, marketing and branding and all that, um, you know, us also helping out with the actual deliveries. I think it was about 3000 plus miles, not just us two, obviously, but um, you know, just having all that taken on by just a handful of volunteers I think it's really easy to get lost in a little bit of that ambition and passion and, and, you know, not take care of your own mental and emotional health while you're trying to do good. So I'd say that is, that was one of the biggest challenges that, you know, that we talked about and documented when we did our evaluation after phase one and that we resolved for phase two to try to do much better on. Yeah, I think Bonnie um, said it best as that was definitely a primary challenge uh, for us uh, when we were just a volunteer team of maybe just like six folks, you know, Uh, Bonnie, myself, Joanne, we were full time, obviously, as co-founders, we were doing a lot, uh, as Bonnie alluded. Another thing that Bonnie said that I kind of want to expand upon in regards to, you know, mental health as as an example I want to kind of like get into a little details about my own personal experience uh, from a mental health standpoint and how, you know, I've found ways to mitigate the the stress and pressure of trying to, you know, um, execute a a very important mission. But in the very beginning, I'll just be very blunt. You know, one of the reasons why I started PRI and had the idea of it in April I was going through a lot of anxiety as I'm sure a lot of people were when the pandemic first started to roll out. And I wanted to use PRI as almost, I wanted to, excuse me, let me take a step back. I wanted to convert a lot of that negative energy into action and use PRI as that platform for action. When we first started, as Bonnie alluded, we were super passionate and like very active and we were trying to do everything because, you know, um, yeah, even that's just how most organizations started. But as we started to do more and more and more, uh, obviously, you know, certain cracks started to form. But I think what was a kind of like a unique experience for me personally, I'm also absorbing a lot of the emotions from the healthcare workers that we were supporting. You know, I, I like to think I'm a, I have strong empath skills and, you know, it really meant so much to me whenever healthcare workers had a care package waiting for me, you know, whether it be, you know, a bottle of water, you know, some candy, chocolate, uh, Bonnie has also done many deliveries as well. And she's also been a recipient of a lot of care packages and uh, mind you, I was trying to be on a diet. <laughs> so, you know, trying to avoid those candies was tough, but you know, how can I say no when it's a gift from a healthcare worker? 
But there are also a lot of times, you know, I, I alluded before, I, I would always ask them, how are you doing? You know, and sometimes, you know, the answers that they gave, which, that was just, just brutal honesty. They weren't doing that great, you know. And I used that to kind of like push me into to have the energy to keep going forward. Um, there was a healthcare worker that was at a nursing home and she was so happy to see me. And she had an entire care package waiting for me, gave me a nice little elbow bump and was so, so excited to see me. 30 minutes later, while I was on the road doing my next delivery, she shot me a text message and it was, she wanted to tell me why she was so happy to see me to give her, to give it more context. She was wearing uh, garbage bags as gowns. She was using uh, bed covers, men's clothing, uh, men's old clothing to be her PPE. I literally had to pull over the road because I was crying and it was not so much that I was sad, but I was really mad you know, and really enraged. And I shared those photos with my team to just remind them as to why this mission is so important that even though we are already in the end of June, these healthcare workers are still wearing, uh, you know, not ideal PPE to put it nicely. So, so much of what I'm trying to do is trying to balance out those emotions and not to, you know, not to let it impact me that much because at the end of the day, I need to maintain my own, you know, mental health in order for me to continue to execute. So it's all about just finding that balance, you know, so. I do have to say that when I when we did the first interview and, um, you know, Gary and I, we've known each other for a long time and I'm, we're connected on social media and all that. And I see you driving around making all these deliveries. I was concerned about you. I was like thinking like, you know, Gary, you need to take care of yourself too, you know, because you're doing a lot. It's a, like takes a toll on you physically and mentally. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you have a team now and, and it's so touching to hear that the backstory of like how the impact that you're making on these uh, healthcare workers also. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll definitely say what has made it that much easier for me to execute and for me to take on so much of the, of the pressures and challenges was really just having Bonnie by my side. Uh, you have to understand um, to the audience, we probably zoom every single day, five days a week from like 10 a.m. to sometimes like 9 p.m. like we did yesterday, you know, and, you know, um, Felicia looks concerned with <laughs> <laughs> some breaks here and there, of course, with some breaks here and there. But like when you have when you have team members that you can have fun with, you can, you know, um, you know, have some moments of uh, you know, silliness, you know, and, you know, try to have some balance, as I said before, you know, it just makes it that much easier because when you have a certain level of enthusiasm, you're having fun doing what you're doing, it makes those challenges a little bit less daunting. You know, I always say to Bonnie, I'm so proud of the mountains moved together, but they would not have been moved if Bonnie wasn't as awesome as she was. Uh, if I wasn't as like, you know, dorky, you know, dorkish <laughs> with some of my jokes, you know, and just try to make everyone laugh. And I feel like that's kind of the culture that we built with our team is that as much uh, as we're trying to, you know, take this cause serious, we also like to enjoy, you know, life, you know, and we like to like, you know, kid around, fool around a little bit. I'm sure Bonnie can probably allude to some of the, you know, fun times, but. Yeah, I will say that a secondary tagline up here I is, Gary, take care of yourself. Yeah, but just to follow up with Gary's point, um, you know, definitely, I think having a great team up here, I makes all the difference. Just knowing that everybody really cares about each other. We're all in it for the same reason, because we want, you know, to take care of the healthcare workers. And we all, you know, feel responsible being part of the same community to do that. Um, you know, just to echo Gary's sentiment, I absolutely could not have done what I did without Gary's support. Um, you know, his encouragement. And I think one of the biggest things is just, you know, being a champion, like for each other, and also for the cause. So I guess here's also my moment to thank you, Gary, for that. De nada. Yeah, de nada, de nada. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about crowdfunding specifically, um, because I, a lot of people are, I'm sure, are very curious about that and how to do that successfully. And um, I think it's really important to have a team like I actually did a couple crowdfunding campaigns, but I did them alone. And that is hard. Um, so, um, but you guys had a team and usually what happens with crowdfunding is um, in the beginning, you may have a lot of excitement and a lot of people jumping in and helping you out. And then at some point you may plateau or that you, your funding may kind of stall at some point. Did you guys experience anything like that? And what did you do when you realized that was happening? 
nothing but a giant peak, Felicia. So I don't know what you're talking about. No kidding. No, absolutely. I think that is the inevitable life cycle of any crowdfunding campaign or in general, any sort of mission, right? You start with a lot of enthusiasm and inevitably, you know, after that initial honeymoon period dies down, there's a, there's that bit of plateau, right? Like you mentioned. Um, I think for us, it's about trying to find ways to regain some of those peaks you know, whether it's about capturing the healthcare workers' stories or about um, talking to the volunteers to constantly uh, re-engage them about why they rejoined in the first place, right? Like helping them to find their why again and to make sure that we broadcast as much as possible in our communications and our, on our social. And in general, just to, you know, try to stay in, you know, try to stay um, cognizant of why we are doing this in the first place. Um, I will also say that, you know, in phase one, we focus a lot on individual contributors. And in phase two, we're concentrating a lot on partnerships. And I feel like, you know, having both of those sources of fundraising and support makes a huge difference. Uh, so for example, you know, talking to more community organizations or, you know, local businesses, trying to reach out to student organizations. That's also another initiative that we're kickstarting really soon. Uh, so just finding like more partners, I think can make all the difference because already you're tapping into a whole, you know, number of groups of people who are all potentially passionate about what, you're, what you care about as well. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the um documenting of the healthcare worker stories. Um, I, I remember you guys started doing that during phase one. Like, how did that come about? And um, are you guys going to continue doing that? Yes, I think uh, the nexus of the idea really uh, first started with a lot of the stories that were already being shared with us when we uh, were doing deliveries, uh, first and foremost. Um, Again, so many times whenever I do a delivery, I always ask them how they're doing. And whenever they alluded to how they were doing, I would re relay, that, relay that back to my team. And that was when we realized like, wow, like we don't want to be selfish and be the only ones to hear these stories, a lot of the which are inspirational. But we also felt a responsibility to provide more awareness of what the healthcare workers were going through. Um, so when I approached Bonnie about this, uh, you know, campaign to produce um, stories from the front lines, as we like to call it. It really started with identifying which healthcare workers, number one, had something to say. Uh, it helped that a lot of them were very eloquent, um, that they have a very, you know, quality story to share. So uh, not to get into too much details, but a lot of the healthcare workers that we supported either were at hospitals that were at the Epic Center, of the Epic Center, like Elmer's Hospital, for example. We interviewed a nurse practitioner and it was actually the first uh, interview that actually made us cry, you know, because of what she experienced. Um, wow. You know, some of the trauma that she's still going through, but still uh, saying to herself that like, you know, I chose this job, God bless me, and I'm gonna keep on doing what I'm doing. And that was really inspirational. Uh, we had a great interview with uh, another uh, nurse from um, from a hospital in uh, Uptown New York, uh, super eloquent. Uh, he actually um, got some, uh, some exposure, his 15 minutes, because he actually wrote a, a viral note about his experience of, you know, going through the pandemic, it got over, I want to say like hundreds of thousands of likes on Facebook, thousands of shares. And I, we actually happened to be one of the organizations to support him. And we invited him to speak and he was just so eloquent and, and his message was just so compelling and inspirational. And then we wanted to focus on other different, um, you know, uh, viewpoints of other type of healthcare positions. It's not just about being a doctor or a nurse, but there are also respiratory therapists who play a pivotal role in uh, the fight against COVID-19 and, and trying to save as many lives as possible. And being the how much proximity that they had to to COVID, the, the how risky their their position is. So we wanted to build more awareness up to that. Um, and then generally speaking, we also just want to create PSAs with with these testimonials. There's going to there's going to be so much more credibility if the healthcare worker says, please wear a mask, as opposed to, you know, 
um, myself or anyone uh, anyone else on our team. So we wanted to do that as well, you know. Um, but for the most part, at the end of the day, we also just wanted these episodes as a way to honor the service, you know, that they put in. Uh, not in a way that romanticizes their their pain and suffering and sacrifices, but really just to give an honest look as to these are just human beings, you know. They're not an expendable resource. They're not an expendable asset. These are real people. This could be your, your brother, your your uh, your sister, your mother, or your father, you know. Um, this could be your kids. And if we put a human face to the healthcare worker, our, our hope was that these stories can inspire others to let them know that, hey, you too can also make a difference. Uh, and, you know, uh, as, I, as, as I like to say, there's a lot of darkness in the world. We have an opportunity to be the beacon of light that fills that void. And that's kind of like what we wanted to do with these, um, these uh, episodes. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm wondering how many of these um, stories do you have and where can people see them if they're curious to um, watch them and learn more? So we've interviewed, I would say, about seven or eight healthcare workers. A few of them we are holding back on for uh, privacy reasons. The healthcare workers um, reached out to us and asked to be kept anonymous. Um, but we do have a few that we're still working through footage of. We actually have an amazing new volunteer. Her name is Elena. Shout out to her. Uh, she's been doing a great job in culling through the past footage and just editing together some of the new things, new stories that we want to tell. And actually one of the most recent ones that she just came out with on Thanksgiving is something that we're really, really proud of. Um, it's the Belinda Mary episode, which I definitely recommend the audience to check out if they haven't already. So the Belinda Mary episode was really, really touching for us and for the audiences that, that saw it. Um, so essentially tells the story of Belinda, who's a nurse practitioner at Elmer's Hospital, the one that Gary mentioned, um, and Mary, who is her daughter and works as a physician in downtown Manhattan. And actually from Mary, uh, the first time she heard her mom really get emotional and talk about the, the turmoils of her job was actually through her interview with PRI. And it was really meaningful for her to watch the episode, you know, and just to hear her mom's testimony about being a nurse practitioner and what that meant, you know? So for us to make that emotional impact on that family, I can't even tell you how much that meant to us because I would say in addition for the series to be a platform for healthcare workers to, you know, tell their stories and like show their behind the scenes perspectives, which many of us don't get the chance to see, you know, for a few, quite a few of them, it's the first chance they really had for someone to sit down, ask them, hey, how are you doing in a more, you know, in-depth way and really talk about what it, what it was, you know? It, it gives them the chance to put their experiences and put emotional context into uh, what they went through and for someone on the other side, you know, me and Gary, uh, to affirm their experiences and to say, hey, like you did amazing. Like what you did, the sacrifices that you've uh, provided, you know, like that really means a lot to us, a lot to the community. Are there any other lessons or mistakes, um, things that you learned um, in the first round reaching in order to reach the initial raise of 30000 that you want to talk about and then how you try to improve on that or correct that? Yeah, well, actually, we were pretty perfect in our execution, so no mistakes whatsoever, Ashley. So, next, next, next question. <laughs> yeah, no, obviously, there were a lot of learning lessons um, that we applied, and you know, uh, first and foremost, you know, the fear of making mistakes is actually a bad fear. I, th I actually embrace failure in a sense, as long as you can learn from that. Of course, yeah, as the saying goes, the opposite of success is not failure. Uh, the opposite of success is not trying at all. Right. So um, I think first and foremost, very early on, we were trying to do patchwork um, project planning on Scribble Scrabble, you know, nothing centralized. Our communication was literally through my Facebook Messenger <laughs> and through like my iMessage to, to folks. And I'm like, okay, this is not sustainable. <laughs> I'm so much better than this. Let's actually take this time to actually take a step back, slow down, and let's see if we can actually uh, create infrastructure 
to actually allow this organization to run more sustainably and, and to allow uh, a foundation to be set so we can grow. So uh, some of the tools that we sh that we use that I highly recommend, if anyone's listening, I recommend they use the following tools. When it, when it comes to communication, we use uh, this tool called Workplace, which is actually uh, an enterprise uh, tool created by Facebook. It's very similar to Slack, um, but the interface of Workplace is very similar to Facebook. So we wanted to go with Workplace because um, it is very easy to train people up because if they if they use Facebook, they'll easily be able to use Workplace. Uh, when it comes to task management, one of the mistakes that I was doing was using, um, again, uh, Scribble Scrabble on like different Google Docs, Google Sheets, you know, uh, not really having a centralized task management tool. So we use Asana, which was actually at the behest of Bonnie. I like to call Bonnie the Asana assassin because uh, she's like really, really good. And there are many moments uh, at like nine o'clock in the morning when I'm still trying to get out of bed, doom scrolling on Twitter and she's updating <laughs> all the Asana tasks and I get all the notifications and I'm like, okay, okay, I'm getting out of bed. I'm, I'm getting back to work. Uh, but Asana has been very helpful to track um, what we're trying to do. Uh, highly recommend that, asana.com. Of course, we do use Google Drive to, uh, you know, collect uh, all of our files. Uh, and I will say that one of the mistakes that I made was not really having an organized hierarchy in the very beginning. And Bonnie and I spent time trying to create that hierarchy, you know, really try to make sense of that entire organized structure so that if as we bring on new volunteers and they're going through a Google folder, um, the Google folders, it will be very easy for them to know where is what because it's very intuitive. And we felt that was very helpful. So from an organizational structure standpoint, yeah, those were a lot of learning lessons. Try not to like rush to get through things. Do take the time to at least plan out properly, get the foundation in place and then go and run with it. So that's definitely a learning lesson that I would like to share. Thank you. Those are really great tips. And I'm sure a lot of people fall into this because especially if you're doing a crowdfunding campaign, typically crowdfunding campaigns are really only 30 to 60 days. So, you know, people don't think about investing the time to set up all this infrastructure, but those are really great tips. Bonnie, did you want to add anything or? Oh yeah. I was just smiling because yeah, you know, I think Gary has been an operations guru in that respect. He's really transformed the way we uh, manage projects and take care of assets and honestly, that little bit of investment in the beginning really saves so much trouble and headaches later on. I think it's it's great to set aside a day or two just to really plan and map things out. Um, the hierarchy of things, the taxonomy, all of that. Uh, it seems like a pain, but totally like guaranteed, totally worth the time. Um, and in general, you know, I, I think this is a really great question because, you know, like me and Gary talk about lessons learned all the time. and. The lessons that you learn in phase two of any kind of project is different from phase one, right? In a phase one, you know, our immediate, um, our immediate concern was, you know, the building up momentum. And now that we have momentum, that's now we're facing a different set of uh, challenges. And I think the main thing at this point, just to echo Gary's point earlier, is to keep, keep this mindset of not being afraid to make mistakes, you know, just to stay really open to the type of different solutions that we might have to experiment with and just, you know, not be afraid to like try different things, right? Try different things, see what sticks. And then the whole trick is to move quickly enough to recognize, you know, what could have gone better and to try to implement that lesson for the next thing that you do. Thank you. I like that um, reminder to the audience, no matter what you do, uh, don't be afraid of the failure because a lot of failure, with success comes a lot of failure to get to the success sometimes, right? Um, and so in this uh, next phase, what is your goal in terms of like, um, I know you said you want to um, support another thousand healthcare workers and uh, what is the uh, next fundraising goal? Yeah, so uh, we've made some modifications to the PPE supply kit in order for the dollar cost go a little bit farther. And we were able to identify uh, $15,000 
on top of what we've already raised, uh, that is what's needed in order for us to support a thousand more healthcare workers. Uh, we got lucky because some of the vendors that we worked with actually had a decrease in price. Um, we also make uh, made some decisions based on the data that we received from healthcare workers, some feedback, uh, better understanding how can we make the kit a little bit more lean. So um, we made some adjustments there. Uh, so to raise fifteen thousand uh, dollars will allow us to um, support a thousand more healthcare workers. Is there any general advice that you would have for people who are wanting to use crowdfunding campaign, or like what you would have to say to them about what it what crowdfunding campaign is and what it it entails to have a successful campaign? Yeah, so let me just make uh, one uh, little clarification. Uh, we were very blessed to actually utilize. Uh, GoFundMe charity as the platform. So there's GoFundMe and then there's GoFundMe charity. If you are a 501c3, you are able to utilize GoFundMe charity in which there's a whole bunch of advantages that are provided in that. Uh, I think there's a really great opportunity for me to give special acknowledgement to another one of our partners. Uh, that would be the Promise Society. Uh, so the Promise Society or TPS uh, is a 501c3 based in New York. Uh, they essentially make a promise to support a particular um, nonprofit or initiative, and they do everything they can to, uh, in that short amount of time, to support that that organization. Uh, we were very blessed to have um, the PPE Relief Initiative be one of those initiatives uh, supported by the Prom Society. How they supported us was that they um, gave us fiscal sponsorship of their 501c3. So we could leverage their, their nonprofit status that helped us save money by using tax exempt forms. Obviously, it added a lot of credibility uh, to, our, to our organization, to the brand. Uh, they leveraged their existing community uh, to initially market out uh, the word of PRI's mission. And most importantly, it also gave us uh, uh, the ability to utilize GoFundMe charity as a platform to, uh, to use our, our fundraiser. One of the main benefits was that the fee structure is much different and, and more affordable using GoFundMe charity versus regular GoFundMe. So, um, so yeah, so that was definitely uh, something I just wanted to just like clarify and just, again, just want to say thank you again to the Promise Society for that support. Uh, but Bonnie, and, uh, I know you yeah, and for Joanna, Louis specifically, she's been an amazing uh, advisor and consultant for us in all the things in our direction and, you know, for key pieces of our, uh, you know, messaging. So I just want to include that shout out to her as well. Yep, Joanna is actually um, a member of the board for the Prom Society and has, uh, you know, a really good friend of mine. Uh, and, you know, she uh, was the one guiding us to uh, make sure that everything uh, is kosher, our ducks are in a row in the pitch that we had with the Prom Society. And uh, yeah, uh, she's essentially acting as that intermediary between our organization and TPS. But I actually wanted to know, um, could you talk a little bit more about what kind of general advice you have for people who are thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign? And then I also think, like Gary, you mentioned that um, GoFundMe actually gave you some kind of a, an advisor or representative to help you with your crowdfunding campaign. Is that right? Yeah, uh, uh, really um Another opportunity to give a shout out to uh, Lisa. She, uh, Lisa's a, a, again a friend of mine, and she actually works for GoFundMe Charity. And when I posted on my Facebook, "Hey, I have this idea called the PP Relief Initiative. I want to start a fundraising campaign to help raise money to to buy supplies for the healthcare workers," uh, she saw my uh, post and uh, reached out to me uh, via DM. And she was like, hey, I work for GoFundMe. Let me know how I can help. And I was like, yeah, sure, definitely. And that was when she made me more aware of GoFundMe charity. Uh, she helped me navigate through uh, all the different steps that I, we needed to take in order to qualify for GoFundMe charity. Um, you know, so a lot of emails back and forth, but we were able to qualify. She helped us get our account set up. Uh, she also pitched us to GoFundMe. 
um, early on as a cause for GoFundMe support, and they actually made a very generous donation uh, to to the cause. So thank you, GoFundMe, but thank you so much, Lisa, for being such an advocate and champion. And I'm probably going to assume that she probably helped us uh, in the pitch process behind the scenes. While she may not admit to it, you know, <laughs> she probably helped us uh, get us uh, get featured on GoFundMe for the holiday giving campaign. Um, but I guess uh, general tips. I think Bonnie might have a few good ideas uh, in that regard. Yeah. So I would say my uh, two main pieces of advice for anyone who's doing crowdfunding, GoFundMe, or I would say this applies even in general to any sort of venture. Uh, one is tell your story and two, show your impact. So telling your story, I would say that comes down to, you know, the founders' stories, right? The stories of the volunteers and the stories of the people that you're serving. Um, again, lead with what's personal because I think that's what really touches people and that's what makes you know, that's what motivates people to give or to contribute or to want to participate in some way in your messaging. So I, I feel like that's really important. And it's really easy to get to lose sight of that and to instead focus on the product or the thing that you're working on, right? Or or the thing that you're giving. I think if you go back to essentially the why of why you're doing what you're doing, which is always a personal story, I think that is definitely a key to success. And a second aspect, which is show your impact. People really want to know after they give what happens with that, their contribution, right? You want to show uh, behind the scenes. For example, for us, that might mean building the PPE supply kit. Um, it means showing our volunteers in action as we make deliveries and uh, connect with the healthcare workers. Um, so be generous with the updates. You know, if they gave, they want to hear what's going on. Uh, make sure that you're in touch with your donors and don't forget to say thank you. I think saying thank you is perhaps one of the most underrated things in life, you know, let alone for crowdfunding. Um, if you remember to thank everybody around you, you can never go wrong. Yeah, I'll also say from another approach uh, as to um, general tips and advice, also follow the data, you know, make data-driven decisions. So um, specifically related to what Bonnie has been doing, uh, I like to think that our email campaigns have been a very effective tool in spreading the word, uh, providing updates, of course, uh, sharing that story that Bonnie was mentioning, but to also generate repeat donors. Um, we spend a lot of time trying to get our emails into primary inbox uh, to make sure it doesn't get into spam. We spend a lot of time analyzing our subject lines, uh, the content strategy in our within our email to see how good click rates are. And, um, you know, there will be some emails where we'll be like, wow, that sucked. <laughs> and, you know, what can we do differently to improve it? But as long as we're listening to the data, specifically with our email campaigns, it really uh, got us, you know, to making email such an effective tool. And we actually had a really great start to begin with, you know, uh, but data can also be applied in so many other ways. So we track how the engagements are within our Instagram posts. And obviously Bonnie does a lot of this. So sorry to kind of take uh, <laughs> the wind out of your, your cell here. Um, but, um, you know, we also listen to the, to the data of, um, you know, uh, the people that are donating when they're donating, how much are they donating? Um, we, we study a lot of that, you know, um, in regards to like locations sometimes also, you know, are we seeing a particular like neighborhood, you know, provide a lot of like donations? Uh, maybe there's a reason why, maybe there's a hospital nearby and that's, a, uh, maybe that's somewhere we can focus more on, you know? Um, I would love to be able to do more of that. Uh, we, you know, because it's just such a big picture, we haven't done more of that, but uh, that's some of the, the data points that we try to follow, so. Yeah, I, I love that. So I guess to reiterate the list, it would be uh, tell the story, right? Show the impact and listen to the data. Thank you for that, guys. There are a lot of really great business lessons here. Um, I think that a lot of people can uh, learn from this. Well, well, I'm not sure it's about because uh, we're actually not paying ourselves. So <laughs> the decision-making process, and then how to like iterate and tweak. You know, the, the looking at the data, mm -hmm. looking at what pe your the behavior of um, your donors, all those kind of things. It's very sound advice, and it could be applied to other business settings. I'm sure. Um, is there anything else that you guys like to share with my listeners about like the PPE relief initiative, things that we don't know about that um, are going on now or 
Anything we've left out? Uh, so I would say that there's, um, not to make this too long, but three major things that are happening soon. Uh, so Gary, who's essentially our delivery captain, we're going to kick off deliveries next week, which is super, super exciting. Uh, number two, uh, the stories. So we're still working through all the past footage and we're making that a centerpiece of our messaging going forward, just making sure, especially for the holiday seasons, um, that everybody gets to hear them. And third, uh, we are partnering and teaming up with a local politician to uh, potentially hold a virtual roundtable either this month or in January. Uh, that roundtable will feature healthcare workers uh, giving testimony on their experience. And as part of our revised mission going forward, will hopefully help to shape uh, some of the impact that we can make on policy decisions regarding healthcare worker protections. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and where can people see these stories? Where's the best place to see it? Do you guys have a YouTube channel? Is it on Facebook or like, where's the best place to see those? Uh, we do have a YouTube channel. It is not an easy URL to spell out here, but what I can do is I can give you the URL and that can be hopefully added to show notes. Yeah. Yep. But of course we also have a lot of those stories listed out on our Instagram so that would be ppe.relief. Uh, again, they can sure they'll see the uh, the link on attached to the episode. Um, but yeah, no, we try to be uh, platform agnostic when it comes to where we're going to try to share our our content. Well, I haven't used that phrase in a while, actually. Wow, where did that come from? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Um, you know, there's obviously certain platforms that we use more of. And there are uh, others that were, you know, maybe uh, not as active. I like to think that our Instagram and our LinkedIn are probably the two platforms we engage with our audience the most, as well as email, of course. Yeah, so we're definitely most active on Instagram, you know, find us on all of them. But uh, definitely talking Taiwan listeners, come say hi on our Instagram at ppe.relief. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, and one last little thing I would say, if you are, um, if you're listening to this, and you happen to know uh, someone in your circle who is a healthcare worker, uh, do know that the application to uh, get PPE is still open. Uh, that would be ppe.relief.org slash apply. So one more time, that's ppe.relief.org slash apply. Essentially, the entire uh, process, uh, I think we talked about it in the, in the last episode, but it's just a really quick reminder. If you are a healthcare worker in need, literally fill out this form first, last name, email, the name of your facility. We ask you some information as to what your current PPE usage is like right you know, at, at this current moment. We, we do have a medical advisory board that essentially um, let us know what are the criterias that will make someone high priority, medium priority, low priority, or even in the wait list. And if you happen to qualify, uh, we'll try to get a PPE supply kit to you as fast as possible. So yeah, hopefully um, you know people that can apply in New York and New Jersey. Yeah, and lastly, sorry, I think Felicia's about to play us off soon. Uh, lastly, if anyone wants to donate or to give in order to give PPE to a healthcare worker, um, think of it as a holiday gift. Um, contributing even just $25 with supply PPE supply kit for a healthcare worker who doesn't have full access to PPE. Um, you can go to ppe.relief.org slash give, and that should lead you to a place where you can donate. Thank you in advance. That's wonderful. Thank you, guys. Um, so, so happy to have you back on and to learn about all the developments and how you guys have really grown and um, looking forward to seeing the next phase of uh, this campaign. And um, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And Felicia, thank you for, you know, being one of our early adopters and believers in our mission. You know, I was telling uh, Bonnie like how nervous I was uh, that first that first podcast. I'm still a little nervous here and there, of course. But, uh, you know, really, um, to the Talking Taiwan audience, you know, Felicia has been our, one of our biggest champions. She is constantly resharing our content. Uh, she's providing updates with her audience on her social media um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just like the, the little personal check-ins that I'll get on, on Messenger have been, has been great, you know. So uh, thank you, Felicia. Oh, I was just going to, you know, agree with Gary. Thank you so much. Um, your podcast is amazing, and we just love how you champion people. So really appreciate it, and thank you for giving us the chance to talk about our stories here. 
My pleasure. I mean, that's what it's all about is um, sharing the good work and uh, inspiring stories of other people. Um, you know, if it can help or educate, inspire, inform in some way, that's that's what it's all about. Thanks for being on the podcast, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I've been speaking with Gary Rello and Bonnie Chan about the PPE Relief Initiative. If you'd like to know more about how to donate to or volunteer with the PPE Relief Initiative, or if you are a healthcare worker in the New York, New Jersey area who'd like to apply for PPE, visit our website, www.talkingtaiwan.com. There you'll also find links to some of the things mentioned in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.